0: Hello, I'm John Eldridge, and welcome to the Ransomed Heart audio podcast. For more information on Ransomed Heart Ministries, our resources, and events, please visit us online at www.ransomedheart.com. C.S. Lewis said that the most practical political action you can take is to convert your neighbor. Convert them to Jesus Christ. I'm John Eldridge, and uh, welcome back to the Ransomed Heart podcast. With me today, Craig McConnell, and we're continuing a series that we began earlier in the summer on how did Jesus look at life? How did Jesus look at things? How does the living Jesus. Look at things. It's sort of a worldview series, but I, I oh, I just shudder at that term because that term has come to be associated with some pretty dry, frankly, hard and unappealing curriculum out there. But it is. This is our worldview series. And the reason I wanted to start with that quote this morning, we, we're obviously entering into a political season, you know, and um, it's late August and you know the country is deluged at this point in political advertising appeals etc. And I wanted to start with that quote by CS Lewis. The most practical political act you can make is to convert your neighbor. And I want to say if only that were true if only it were that easy. Part of the reason that, you know, is frankly behind our reason for doing this series is the fuzzy headed thinking that passes for Christian conviction out there when it comes to a variety of topics, including things that hit into the political realm. And so we're just trying to bring some clarity to this, if only to say, look, Whatever the position it is that you hold, let's at least look at what Jesus might have to say about that. Mm -hmm. Let that inform our convictions. And, I mean, I I understand what Lewis was saying. And, of course, bottom line, you know, what the world needs is for men and women to give their hearts to Jesus Christ. Of course. Of course. But the problem is becoming a Christian doesn't necessarily – straighten out your thinking overnight, you know, and we kind of drag into our our Christian beliefs all kinds of prejudices, biases, assumptions, things we picked up from, you know, culture, our college, our colleagues at work, our family. And so I wish, I wish that simply coming to Christ was was enough to— bring us the mind of Christ but it takes time and reflection and obviously you know immersion in the scriptures and that kind of thing so quick, react to that react to that the most practical political act is converting your neighbor
1: I'm thinking uh, much like you um, yes yes I'm thinking that most of my neighbors who need conversion um are preoccupied with some other source than God as the basis of their salvation mm-hmm. and their happy life, mm-hmm. and that in the political uh, arena, um, the culture, the times, our geography, the friends I have um, don't see um, Christianity as being a, a relevant to their political views, perspective, and to what they tie the future of the U.S. and their families and their future to. They right. have a very different right. vision for what salvation looks like. Right.
0: Yes. And the Christians you know? What about them?
1: Um, Dennis Prager made the statement years ago. He said there's people that you agree with but don't want to socialize with because you just can't stand them. <laughs> And then there's people you disagree with on vital, ultimate issues that you actually enjoy and love to be with. And I find that many of my Christian friends are uh, people I might agree with um, but I don't enjoy being with because they hold perhaps similar convictions either politically or scripturally or, or the blend of those two. But there's something so missing in their life. I find them unappealing to spend time with. I don't know how they would convert their neighbors. Yes, yes,
0: yes, yes. So, friends, we hope we're going to do this in a good spirit. We hope you have been enjoying our attempt to to put these things out there in a way that um, we want to press into some difficult issues. We've got some great subjects coming, including sexuality, including gender issues. But – I thought we'd spice up uh, this week by um, diving into um, was Jesus a pacifist? And partly because I was having a conversation recently with one of my sons who attends a Christian college and uh, was shocked to hear um, that the majority of kids that he runs into at this Christian college uh, are pacifists and, you know, principled pacifist. You know, they're not cowards. They believe that Jesus was a pacifist and taught pacifism. And I'm like, wow, that's got to be looked at. Let's dive into that. So um, so that's where we're going today. Was Jesus a pacifist?
1: And John, what's a pacifist?
0: Um, someone who believes that um, – violence of any form is wrong, that war is wrong, it is in itself evil, contrary to God, and therefore the taking up and the bearing of arms for any purpose, whether it be civil order or international conflict, is Wrong for the believer at least or wrong for the pacifist. It's a matter of conscience and with those things, you know, there's kind of tied in a collection of issues. You would have, you know, the taking of human life is always wrong, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I think many of them would actually add these days. They're, um, <laughs> frankly, we – okay. So quick story. We, we had some friends over um, – for dinner a couple of weeks ago and they brought their young adult children with them um, you know the late teens early 20s and and uh, there was a hornet a yellow jacket was suddenly kind of buzzing around the room and in the face of of one of the the young ladies and she sort of shrieked and and Stacy you know took off her flip-flop and walked over and <sighs> whacked the the Hornet thinking that she was doing the the young lass a favor. Well, then there was great distress and the young girl held her hands over her face and ran from the room. And her older brother explained, uh, he's in his mid-20s, we don't kill things. Uh-huh. And so I would say that probably fits within sort of a larger pacifist position that the taking of any life is wrong. Uh-huh. Yeah. Is that
1: Yeah, yeah, no, that's how I just to clarify for our listeners. listeners, Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. And did Jesus teach that? Did Jesus teach those cluster of things? And and in particular, did Jesus teach uh, that we're not to bear arms either in a case of you know personal defense or civil defense or the administration of justice or in the case of of war. Mm-hmm. Was Jesus a pacifist? Did he teach pacifism? Is, is holding a pacifist position consistent with Christianity? Mm-hmm. That's what we want to dive into today. So where do your thoughts go with that?
1: Absolutely. He was not, with all respect to my pacifist friends. Uh, I mean, he's the incarnate God. He is God of old and new testaments in the flesh. And you see in his life, in his death— In his uh, teaching, you see him making very clear both how sacred um, life is and how necessary at times um, the sacrifice of life is for the salvation, for the saving of others. Mm. Um, uh, I I get the pacifist position generally, but I, I just don't see it as... Being true to both Christ or the the whole of Scripture.
0: Okay, pause on that right now because I I do know pacifists and I would say that one of the things they want to hold to is that the Jesus of the New Testament is somehow different than the God of the Old Testament. That the Old Testament and New Testament aren't you know really the same God, Mm -hmm. frankly, or. Or there's been a change of attitude or there you know, there's mm-hmm. a, there's some sort of difference there. They wanna mm-hmm. they wanna separate somehow, um however they want to do it. They wanna kinda say, no, Jesus, yeah, the God of the Old Testament, whoo, you know, he does seem <laughs> he does seem pretty violent at times, but but the Jesus of the New Testament, no, very different person. Speak to that.
1: Well, I you know, clearly scripture is progressive and that as is- Scripture unfolds. we learn more and more about God, and clearly, there are some distinctions and differences between Old and New testament um, There's an old covenant now there's a new covenant uh, um the nation Israel had a unique and special place in the Old Testament and still to this day does in God's heart and mind um but his focus is broader than the nation of Israel now, so certainly there's changes and differences but um God hasn't changed, and there's something reflected in the the acts of history and declarations of Scripture and and the commandments and so on and so forth that speak of the one true God who is eternal and doesn't change, that Christ embodies and is in the flesh representation of. So, yeah, there's a lot of differences, but... uh, we're not talking about a different God or a new God or an improved God. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about more clarity and uh, the fullness of God revealed in Christ in the flesh. Um, but um, God is eternally the same and forever true to himself.
0: Yeah. I'm thinking of the book of Revelation. If you, if you somehow want to say Jesus is really different than the Old Testament God. And again, of course, Jesus is, you know, as Hebrews says, he is the representation. You know, uh, yes. in the past, our God spoke through the prophets, mm-hmm. right? Um, but in these last days, he has spoken through his son. I began the series mm-hmm. with that. You know, Jesus is the exact representation of God. Okay, good. Well, then l- let's go with Jesus. Uh, at the end of the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, Jesus Christ returns, mounted – Armed with an army with him. So he is leading an army and his robe is dipped in blood. Mm -hmm. That are strong, direct connections to the Old Testament. You know, who is this coming from Eden? Who is this striding from Bozrah with his robe stained in blood? You know, as Isaiah would say, or um, the Lord of hosts, the Lord Almighty, the way that's actually translated in Hebrew, means the God of armies, yes. the God of the armies of Israel. So Jesus Christ is appearing as the God of the armies of heaven, the armies of the, of the kingdom of heaven. He is armed. He's leading an army. And so, wow. I mean, the <laughs> pacifist is just going to have to stop and say, what do you do with that position? What do you do with that picture of Christ and and his return. Uh, You know, now, you know, immediately they're going to say, well, but Jesus taught, turn the other cheek. But Jesus taught, you know, love your enemies and that sort of thing. Does does the Jesus of the Gospels teach pacifism?
1: Yeah. There is clearly throughout Old and New Testament uh, times where where um, followers of God resisted, um, disobeyed, uh, ruling authorities and governments and kings and magistrates, you know, from Daniel back to the midwives who were ordered to kill all firstborn. Peter and John and Acts were told to no longer speak in the name of Christ, and uh, uh, they just very clearly said that, you know, whether it's right for us to obey man or God, you be the judge, you know, we're we're going to continue this gospel. So there's clearly times where we resist and we go against the flow and the ebb and the tide of the culture, the government, uh, the age we live in. But in in some of those passages from the Sermon on the Mount and so on and so forth, I think Christ, uh, when you understand in the context of all of Scripture, um, he's talking about kind of a retaliatory spirit. I think he's speaking to the heart. I think he's, he's taking some of the laws about um, we get in the Old Testament about we shall not murder and so on and so forth. And he's making very specific and bringing the heart into the issue. Uh, the same Christ who you know, talks to us about turning the cheek is uh, the one who, who made the whip to clear the temple. You know uh, this premeditated act of violence yes. to clear the temple. He's the same one that in in Matthew told us that we weren't to promote the kingdom by sword, but in Luke tells his disciples to buy a sword. Right. You know. So right. There's a lot of these different passages that, as you said on the front end, make this kind of messy or fuzzy. Um, but what's the whole? the thrust and the tide and the movement of Scripture. And I think it's Christ making very clear that um, fighting, uh, you know, for God's kingdom and for the lives of others is absolutely necessary and required for the justice that pacifists want mm-hmm. in this world.
0: Right. You can't derive your position from a verse or two. Mm-hmm. In, in fact, some people are actually quite shocked to learn the Bible does not say thou shalt not kill. Right. Let me say that again. The Bible does not say teach command thou shalt not kill. It says thou shalt not murder. Those are very different things. Very, very different things in fact you know again throughout the old testament new testament book of revelation wrapping the story up from beginning to end you know there is the administration of the sword for the restraint of evil and as you said john chapter 2 jesus clearing the temple he makes a weapon mm-hmm. you know it doesn't say that he grabbed a rope and began to to swing it over his head as an act of you know sort of spooking animals it says that he made a whip of mm-hmm. cords so several cords bound together to be an effective whip which he then used to drive both animals and men mm-hmm. from the temple it says and so jesus christ makes a weapon uses a weapon for the You know, the purposes of God. And then I think an important passage in in Luke 3.14, which you mentioned, uh, it says, um, then some soldiers asked Jesus, and what should we do? This is after telling the tax collectors, you know, hey, don't collect any more than you're required to. Then the soldiers ask him, what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money. Don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. He does not tell them, quit your job. He doesn't tell them, you are in an evil profession, get out as soon as you possibly can. He doesn't say, repent of being a soldier, yeah. you know. So um, – and then as I said, you've got the the revelation passage of Christ returning at the head of an army. So the Jesus of the New Testament, the Jesus of the Gospels, it's not presented as a pacifist. and. Yes, there are passages like "Turn the other cheek," but you know, as you said they those passages have to be taken within context both of the meaning of, of that passage about retaliation but also within the context of the whole the whole scripture. This is a fascinating thing um Jesus is giving his disciples final instruction in luke twenty two and Jesus said to them, "He says, "Now, if you have a purse, take it." And also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. (laughs) You go, whoa, you know, when is that ever taught from the pulpit? Have people just missed this verse, right? It is written, uh, he was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reached in its fulfillment. And then the disciples say, here, Lord, we have two swords. And Jesus says, that's enough. Mm-hmm. He doesn't say sell them and give the money to the poor. He doesn't say sell them and buy food for the journey. I mean you, you know, the fuller context, gang, of the Jesus of the Gospels is he doesn't prohibit soldiery as a profession. He doesn't um, condemn the use of weapons. He doesn't discourage owning weapons or using them clearly. Clearly, you just you would have to choose one or two verses from the entire Bible to try and come up with a position that that Jesus Christ is a pacifist or taught pacifism.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that sword. Um, if for nothing else, for self defense, we live in a world that's at war, that's evil, that's yes. sinful, yeah. that's fallen. That I mean. Um, We don't take serious the violence that surrounds our every breath and our every movement and act and decision. And um, it just uh, catches me as naive beyond belief almost that you think you can live in this world without resisting and fighting um, evil as it uh, comes at us through people, through others, through vile and violent. and
0: Whether it be a criminal, whether yes. it be a terrorist, or whether it be a, a nation, an mm-hmm. army. As, um, we've quoted Dennis Prager a few times in this series, and um, you can actually get on his website and listen to some of his teaching. He's a Jewish thinker, essayist, columnist, uh, has a radio show, and we respect him a great deal because he's simply so clear-headed in his thinking. And Prager simply asked this question. If you are not going to use force to stop violent men, what are you going to use? And that's what the pacifist has to answer. If you, mm-hmm. you know is if you are not going to use violence to stop the violent, if you're not going to use mm-hmm. a weapon force, you know, mm-hmm. then what are you going to use? Because the position of pacifism Um, is perhaps one of the most naive positions held by people today. I mean, maybe maybe in some other age, maybe in some other private little, you know, hobbit-like shire where there were no threats, there was no evil, you know, maybe in Eden, maybe, Mm -hmm. but friends – part of what you have to wrestle with if you want to hold to a pacifist position is not only the entire witness of the scriptures but but that question that if you are not going to use force to stop violent men, what are you going to use? You know? And, and um, the cost to others of you holding this position is something that in particular really upsets me. Mm -hmm. I mean, honestly, really, a criminal breaks into your house at night and your children are in danger and you're not going to grab a lamp, you know, a broom handle. Really, you're not going to do a thing to resist him. You may have the right to spend your life foolishly. Mm -hmm. I don't think you do, actually. I don't think the scripture allows that. But you do not have the right to spend other people's lives. Mm at your own foolishness. Mm-hmm. You don't have that right. Mm-hmm. And so the idea that you're going to let evil run rampant in the world because you want to hold to some position that that uh, the scripture teaches that you know against the owning of weapons or the use of violent force or what have you. It's not just naive, it is a morally irresponsible mm-hmm. position to hold. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a uh absolute, total disregard of, of the sacredness of life, I think.
0: Exactly. Friends, I realize that we're raising an issue that maybe for some of you, you're going, yeah, right, that's totally obvious. But others of you, wow, this, this is raising emotions and concerns and, um, you know, encourage you to go back and, and re-look at the um, the God of Scripture and the necessary use of force in, in resisting evil, not the indiscriminate use of violence for one's personal whims, of course that's wrong. Right. But the use of force for the resisting of evil. And in fact I would really encourage you, if you if you sincerely hold to a pacifist position, you really need to read C. S. Lewis's essay, Why I Am Not a Pacifist, because he He lays out, I think, a very lucid, clear case that needs to be considered. And in fact, if you're going to hold to a pacifist position in good conscience, you need to read that essay first. Because at the end of it, Lewis says this. He says, among all the other reasons, you do have to be aware that you are choosing a position that allows you to avoid some of the uglier realities of life. You know, you're choosing a position that excuses you from military service. And isn't that awfully convenient for you? I mean, let's just be aware of our motives, friends, that whatever else we might want to hold, fitting in with our friends, fitting in with the culture, seemingly hip, tolerant, you know, kind, gentle. Uh, But Lewis is saying, look, you've got to take a look at, At the fact that by holding this position, you are excusing yourself from some of the more difficult realities of life. So, strongly encourage you to look at that. We're going to continue on with this series, and next week's podcast will tie into this one because we want to look at how did Jesus look at government? What is the role of government in the eyes of Christ? Thanks again for joining Craig McConnell and me on this uh, Ransomed Heart podcast. For more information about this or other topics, please come to our website at ransomedheart.com.